mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 13 as we continue through this testimony by our evangelist John. We're going to be beginning in verse 1 this morning, and we're really making another transition uh, in the book of John, and most people would call this the upper room discourse. I do not completely agree with that, but I don't want to be uh, hurtful, but the 13 and 14 is in the upper room, and then 15, 16, and 17, they actually leave the upper room, and they're traveling through uh, Jerusalem and out through lower Jerusalem past the grape arbors that you see in 15 then across the brook, brook Kedron and then into the garden so really three chapters are not in the upper room two are um, and so therefore I say why do we call it the upper room discourse when it's really just another discourse by Jesus to his own and that's the point that we really want to see here is that if you remember Jesus has been moving away from uh, the nation as a whole, and that's what we see finally at the end of chapter 12, uh, when he said in 47, 1247, if anyone hears my words and does not believe, does not trust in me, uh, that the Father has sent me, I'm adding those words to help you understand the content, I do not judge, crino him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me or does not believe the words that I speak and the reason I am here uh, and, and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. And then he goes on to tell us that he's not speaking in his own authority. He says on my own authority is added for context. But the father who sent me, he gave me command what I should say and what I should speak. And remember, the word command is an authoritative prescription. It's not, a, it's not an accident that, that our country's being ran by sorcery or by pharmacia because the world wants to give an authoritative prescription to us to dominate us and to control us and to teach us to live under an antichrist system instead of live for Christ and hear his voice. Uh, so he says he gave him the authority and he gave him a command what he should say and what he should speak. And in the same way, he sent us. Jesus has sent us. As the Father sent me, I also send you. And what does he do? He gives us his word to go and speak to others. And we've been given his authority because all authority has been given to him. All power is the word. And we call it authority. But when you get right down to it, what is it? That everybody is under authority. And we're going to listen to some authority. And if you don't listen to God's authority, you're listening to the devil's authority. There's only two voices. 
And my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Follow really is to be in the way or to obey what his voice is saying. To obey his word. Because that's what's going to judge us in the last day anyway. Is his word. Everything that we have right here. One book. It's all put into one place under the authority of Jesus who is following the command of the Father who sent Him with a plan to save the lost. We can't see the spiritual realm. We can't see what the enemy is doing. But we can always follow the Holy Spirit's leading and hear the voice of God. And Romans 8.14 says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. So when we're leading, when we're following, when we're learning to obey... We're actually judging ourselves. We're actually examining ourselves. We're actually doing the work of the ministry in ourselves, being faithful to it. And that's really all God calls us to do, right? Is to be faithful. Is to be faithful. That's it. We're called to be faithful. You're not called to be tall, short, small, smart, handsome. You're not called to be anything other than faithful. And faithful with what? The ministry that He has given us when He sent us. The command that He gave us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to what? Observe, obey all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, why would we have that command? Because he said in 28.18, All power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. So we can trust him. We can go out with boldness and power. Why did they kill Jesus? Because he spoke with authority. Why did they kill Jesus? Because he wouldn't come underneath their authority. He wouldn't listen to them. No matter what they threatened him with, he said, no, no, I'm going to listen to the Father's plan. I'm going to set my face like flint toward Jerusalem and go and, and complete exactly what God has called me to do. I understand what I've been sent for. And we're going to see it in the text. He knows where he came from. He knows what he's called to do. He knows where he's going. Do you know your identity in Christ? And what He's called you to do? Can you settle up with that and just stay focused on that by the power of the Holy Spirit and continue to run your race with endurance? That's what we're called to do. Why? Because verse 50 here, 1250, and I know that His command, His authoritative prescription is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. See, not, not making up our own gospel. Not making up our own words. Let me just placate them a little bit. Let me just make this a little easier to understand. Let me just break this down in my, uh, my, my new version of the Bible. Let me just change God's Word to fit what people want to hear and tickle their ears and end up with a form of godliness that denies the power thereof. That's not what we want to do. We want to go do exactly what the Father called us to do. We want to be in the center of God's will. We want to be walking in the Spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And so we come to this place. Think about it for a minute. I was going to go do the entire book of John, but I like to start in, in, in chapter 8 because that's the number of new beginnings. What happened to the woman caught in adultery? Think about it. Because we're that woman caught in adultery. We're all none righteous, no, not one. And Jesus said, where are your accusers? See, because it's only Him that we need to be faithful to and to be pleasing to. Not men pleasers, but God pleasers. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Well, how can I go and sin no more? I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will not abide in darkness. 
What happens if I follow him? The next chapter, chapter 9, a blind man, he opens his eyes. We were all born blind. He opens our eyes. He's rejected by the ruling authorities because his eyes were open. His spiritual eyes. Yes, physical, because God can heal both when He chooses to. But He chooses to heal everybody spiritually. What happens if my eyes are open? Then chapter 10, I follow the Good Shepherd. I don't try to come in any other way, but according to exactly what the Good Shepherd says. What happens if I follow the Good Shepherd? Chapter 11. See, the light turns on. You're in the grave. You're dead. You're in this world. It's this broken sepulcher. And when the light turns on, you're still inside the tomb. But he says, come forth. The good shepherd says, come forth. And if you hear his voice, he knows you. Right? And you follow him, so you come forth. And as you come out of that grave, and, and, and you start to walk in light, what does he say? He says to the people around in fellowship, loose him. Take off his grave clothes. Help him to walk this out. Be a body together, a family. And help one another. The one another ministry. Then what do you find? The next chapter, chapter 12. They're all seated at a table. Mary and Martha not arguing anymore. Mary, of course, means their rebellion. Martha means she was rebellious. That's the testimony. Lazarus, whom God helps, come forth out of the grave when he hears his voice and listens. They're all having fellowship. Just like Christ said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone would hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and dine with him and he with me. So we have this beautiful picture of them having fellowship at a table. Which is a picture of the wedding supper of the Lamb. And Jesus says, if you don't want to believe that, I'm not going to judge you. I didn't come to judge. Go and sin no more. But you already have my voice. You already have my word. That's going to judge you. And whatever a man soweth, he will reap. God is never mocked. You can't stick your nose up at God and say, I'll be okay. I'll get in some other way. If we sow to the wind, we will indeed reap the whirlwind. But while you're doing that, listen, what happened with Lazarus? I'm going to back up just a step. Because he began to hear the voice, because they begin to unwrap the clothes, there's fellowship going on. He's taking off the death clothes and he's now having life. Because of that, the ruling authorities decided that not only does Jesus have to die, but Lazarus has to die. So when you begin to let people take off your grave clothes, you begin to counsel one another, you begin to enjoy fellowship, the enemy is going to come and attack and want to kill you also. And no matter what they throw at you, no matter what they bring, no matter what goes on in life, every bit of it is in God's hands. He's sovereign. He is completely sovereign. And you will not be visited with evil anymore because it's going to be the scalpel of God. The trials, the temptations, the testing is the scalpel of God. If you need a text for that it's Proverbs 132 I believe you will not be visited with evil but God will allow the tempter to tempt you as he burns out the dross as you go through the fire we are going through the valley of the shadow of death we're not stopping there because we have life now following him who is life the truth will set you free so we are being led out but now we're at this place where we're saying is his word enough 
Do I go out and tell them some other stuff? Do I make it easier? Do I build my own program, my own church, my own kingdom? Or do I listen to Him? And we get to 13 where He's going to wash their feet and give them an example of how to continue in humility, making Himself of no reputation. And if we allow Him to wash our feet and lead us through this world, we have chapter 14 where He says, He's going away to, in my Father's house are many mansions. He's going to build us a house. He's prepared it for His bride. It's on the side of His Father's house where He's going to present us to Him. But we have to abide in the vine, chapter 15. Because we can't bear any fruit apart from Him. And He's told us all of these things. Again, He keeps reminding us 16 so that we would not stumble. And don't forget, He's there praying for us, chapter 17. He's seated right now at the right hand of the Father praying for you and me. He's praying that our hearts would receive with meekness the implanted word for the saving of the soul. And that way we continue to follow. See, because there is a believing. The demons believe and tremble. There is a believing in our world today. There's a spirit that says, oh, I believe. We have all these signs that just say believe. Believe what? And it's not enough to believe that Jesus is Lord. You must pistis. That's the next word, faith. You have a walk of faith. You have a constancy. That's what pistis is. It's a constancy in that belief. You can't just believe one time and then say that there's evidence of faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. So when you believe and then you turn and there's repentance, metanoia, your mind changes. I'm no longer listening to the authority of this world, but I'm listening to the authority, authoritative scriptures on each specific subject. I'm going to get into them and learn it and, and learn to hear the voice of God and articulate what He's saying and what He's called me to do, what my gifts and talents and abilities are, and then try to follow that. Not perfectly, but while I'm being perfected. Listen to me. He says all of this so that we're not stumbled. He's praying for us now. Are you letting Him pray for you? Are you praying with Him? Are you letting Him change your desires as you both pray together for, for what is right in this situation? Or are you, you kind of rubbing Him like a genie? I got my Bible. I went to church. I'm rubbing God a little bit. I know He's going to give me exactly what I want now that I did a little bit of few works for Him. He'll answer all my prayers now. Doesn't work like that. He's changing your desires. He's washing your feet. We're here now, chapter 13. He wants you to change your mind to His plan, to His authority, to His word. Not Him change to your direction. Yours is death. Mine is death. His is life and that more abundantly for eternity. Everlasting. And we'll all make mistakes. We'll all stumble. But that's part... He's, he's only testing and trying us. It's just part of it. Then in 18, of course, you have the cross where He actually fulfills what He's already said He was going to do. God always does what He said He's going to do. He cannot lie. And then you have the scattering... The disciples all backslide and run away. They're confused. They don't understand what happened. It was a big trial. He had told Peter, when you return to me, strengthen the brethren. And then, of course, we have resurrection, chapter 20. Resurrection, what an amazing thing. If we don't have the resurrection and raising from the dead, we're all playing church. 
But since he defeated death, now we know that we have life, and we know that the last enemy to be defeated will be death. And in 21, again, because they all scattered, they all backslid, they all ran off, they were confused. They said, let's figure out what to do. Let's go fishing. They ever go to a big trial in your life and you go back to doing what you were doing? The place that's most comfortable, the place that's most easy, and this is the place I feel the best at because I know everything about this life. A dog chasing his vomit? What is that? Pig wallowing in the mire? And Jesus still comes because he loves us so much and he restores them. Think about it. Even, even Peter's in the boat. We're going to see about Peter here in a minute. He's in the boat and he took off his outer garment. That's the garment that Christ is clothing him with. He's being reclothed and he's taking it off. He's in the boat. He's fishing on the wrong side. And somebody said, it's the Lord. And he's like, boom, he hits the water. He hits the water. He's ready to go again. And God restores him, but he talks to him about it. He counsels him. It, he's struggling with it. Why do you say three times? You know I love you, Lord. But then the Lord, what's he do? He is condescending, coming down the whole time, humbling himself. He started with agapeo, and he ends in phileo. He ends with brotherly love. Just at least meet me where I'm at. And he says, you know I love you. Listen, everything that's going on in your life, no matter where you go in your struggles, don't run from God. Don't run from fellowship. Get into the word prayer and fellowship and not necessarily in that order. I would encourage prayer first because my house should be a house of prayer, Jesus said to all nations. And that's where he's cleansing the temple at. And that's what we want to talk about today as we get into chapter 13 after my 25-minute introduction. 13 13.1 we continue now before the feast of passover when jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the father having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end and supper being ended the devil having already put into the heart of judas iscariot simon's son to betray him jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash, your, wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, my feet only, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. 
I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture might be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it comes to pass, when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am, you can scratch out he, I am, most assuredly I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. I wrote in my Bible, the Father. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to see Jesus before it's too late in our life, before you confirm our heart. We would want to see you. Thank you for opening blind eyes. Thank you for sending us to be further equipped to do the work of the ministry of reconciliation of souls for your glory for such a time as this. We give you praise today. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in verse 1, trying to stay on topic, sometimes it's a little hard to do. Now, before the feast of the Passover... I personally believe it's the 13th of Nisan. Remember the Passover, Exodus 12. Jesus is coming. This will be the final Passover because He is the fulfillment of Passover. Everything that God said He was going to do, it's hidden in the Old Testament. Exodus 12 on the 10th of Nisan, uh, the final plague when God was delivering them from Egypt, who was ran by Pharaoh from the bondage of their lives. Uh, of course, Egypt is a type of the world. Pharaoh is a type of Satan. There was the Passover festival that he instituted. He said, on the 10th of Nisan, all your adult males should choose a lamb. Then you watch him till the 14th of Nisan. Put him in the house. Be acquainted with him. Look and see if there's any spots or blemishes. Make sure it's the true lamb of God and not a false lamb of God. And then at the 14th at twilight, you are to kill him. In this case, crucify him. Uh, and sacrifice him, and then put the blood on your door, the doorpost of your hearts. Um, and then, when the death angel comes, he will pass over. Now, of course, they were in Goshen, which means draw near, draw near to God. And they were in Goshen, and the Passover lamb comes, and all the priests were killed. We're going to see that again soon. Soon and very soon, when the Antichrist will be judged and all the enemies of the synagogues of Satan. But right now, we are supposed to be understanding that Passover is finished. I don't believe that he even tells us about communion in this text, but that's what he does next. If you follow the other Gospels, they finish supper, the final Passover supper, because that was always Old Testament looking forward to the Messiah coming. But here he's getting ready to fulfill it. And so now what does the communion do? It looks back on the fulfillment and the second coming. And it makes us have all things in common, co-union with God. But it's really a celebration of wedding vows, our communion is. And so he's going to finish supper, institute communion, and then, as we stated earlier, he'll go out as he speaks to them about his father's house, and then he'll speak to them about bearing fruit, not stumbling. Um, but here... Before the Feast of Passover. I, I would call it the 13th. I'm not sure that it is. Uh, and it doesn't matter for the context here. When Jesus knew 
I do. That's I do. That's the word that's used in John 1 9. If you confess, he knew by. Uh, let me just look at it here for you. It's I do. I like the way it, it, it's Edo, but I say I do because that's the way it looks in English. I do a marriage ceremony. It means to see or to be aware or to know. And if you have spiritual eyes, you're going to see it. Jesus already knows. And, and it's actually used the first time. And this is what I like to do, and you guys know it, that's been here. We're going to we go back to Genesis for uh, Hebrew. But in, in, in the Greek, you want to go back to our beginning of the judgment of sin being taken, which is Matthew 2 2, is the first time that the, this word know is used. And I thought it was pretty interesting where it's used at because it's the wise men. And wise men still see what God is doing. He who has eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. So in 2.2 it says, uh, that, or 2.1 and 2.2, Now after Jesus was born in the house of bread, of, uh, He shall be praised in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen, I do, we have seen, we understand His star in the east and have come to worship Him. That's where that word is used at, because there's a knowing. They've seen it. They've been looking forward to it. They've been instructed and passed it down from Daniel's days. And now we know, uh, they, they understand, they have seen His star. And what did they do? They come to worship Him. If your eyes have been opened, you've come to worship Him. You don't want to worship man. If your eyes have been open, you need to be a wise man in God's wisdom, not earthly, central, demonic wisdom, and you need to come to bow down to God, worship, proskuneo, and lay at His feet because He's the only one that's going to get you out of this grave, out of this world alive. And of course, we know that positionally that's done. If we're doing the other things, we will have the evidence of what our heart truly believes and whose authority we truly are under. So when Jesus knew, he seen, he understood that his hour, remember he's been talking about his hour, his hour, not yet, when he seen that his hour now has come, what do you mean his hour has come? The hour where he will fulfill what he was appointed to do, what he was called to do. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He's going to complete. He's on mission with the Father. He's going to complete that, finish that. And that he should depart from this world. And he going, going back to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, not of the world, he loved them to the end. Now listen, a couple things here. Um, not to belabor it, but I love it. Um, his hour, the second usage is at a wedding in Canaan of Galilee when he said to his mother, what does that have to do with me, woman? My hour is not yet come. Because he knew what he came for. And the whole time he's learning uh, perfect obedience to the things that he suffers. He was 100% flesh, 100% God. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And, and, and that's the pattern. That's the example we're going to see at the end of this. That he gives for us. That the things we're going through, we're going to be tempted. We're going to go through trials. We're going to be tested by fire. 
But in those days, we're not living in the flesh. We're looking over the flesh and looking into heaven, looking at what the Spirit is doing and how God is training and teaching us. And a wise man will fall seven times, but a fool will fall by calamity. So when you fail, when you fail, it's not to kick you out of heaven. It's to let you know where your heart is at so you can sit down and pray and say, Lord, I need wisdom to get through this one. Lord, I need help to get through this one, and I know where my help comes from, so I'm going to bow here at your feet because you're the only one that's going to get me to the other side where you've already said for sure we are going. So we could say, teach me to walk by the Spirit or walk on water because we need that in these days that we are living in. So he knows that his hour has come that he should depart and, it, and listen to what the word means, to depart. It means to change place. Listen, to change place. Because He's going to take our place. That's what He came for. His hour is to take our place in redeeming sacrifice. Listen, so He's getting ready to change places with us. He's going to become sin. He who knew no sin becomes sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He's going to depart He's going to take our place. This is what this entire text is speaking of Jesus, God, the cross, every bit of it. And so does the Bible, but uh, I get a little excited. So excuse me if I end up getting up running around like a madman. Listen, this stuff should excite you. This is living water. This is the word of life. This is what we're going to be judged by. I'm sick of man judging me. Listen to me. Get into the Word of God. Sit down with God. Quit worrying about what man thinks and then tell others about it. Notice it's an hour. God's got an hour for your life. He's got a time for your life. Remember the hour of Pharaoh? When Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then there was an hour where God confirmed his heart. Look at it. It's in Exodus 10.3. That's what this text is about. Humility. It's about humbling ourselves. You're going to see in a minute that perfect humility. God come down and humbled himself to the lowest position and he meets perfect pride. Peter. Face to face. You're not even going to wash my feet. It's under the eighth plague. It's 10-3. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh. So here's Moses, one drawn out. Aaron is called light bearer. He's one that's bringing light because he's Moses' prophet, the one drawn out. And it came to Pharaoh, the type of the devil, and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? This is eight. This is number of new beginnings. Eighth plague, the locusts. How long will you refuse? Because it's a, it's a part of your heart. It's a part of my heart. It's a part of their heart that we would refuse God's authority of His Word in our lives. When He came to save, not to judge. He came to lead us out, not to trap us. Are you being set free? Remember 8? Chapter 8? He said to... The Jews who believed, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. What did they do? They argued with him. We are not in bondage. We've never been in the bondage of anybody. 
time to confess. It's time to come clean. It's time to understand that God already knows. And he tells Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me, or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring the locust into your territory. It's pretty amazing because we get the testimony later that Moses was the humblest man on the earth. No other man is humble as Moses. Now, why was he humble? Because he was an angry man. He got angry, hit the rock twice. He misrepresented God. But the, the point was not in his, his, his anger. The point was not in his actions to the point of his uh, mentality. It was in his morality. When he heard God's word, he obeyed God. That's why he was humble. Humble is to obey God. Your will meets the cross. Your will meets God. Your, your authority over your life meets God's authority and His Word. It's going to judge you. Examine yourself. And are you following what God says or what you've made up as a religion? What you've made up as a cross to bear, which was never something to bear anyway. I die daily is what that's about. Dying to your authority. Dying to what you want to do. Dying to your desires. Because unless there's death, there's never going to be life. Remember, he just told us that in the last chapter. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it'll bear much grain, much fruit. So he's talking about his death, but he gives us that as a picture of a pattern of what you and I must do. We must reckon the old man dead in order to produce life in us. And that life eternal more abundantly. So he knows what his hour is. He knows what he's called for. These things are knowable, but don't miss. Remember, he's completely led by the Spirit of God. Everything that he's doing is by the Spirit of God as a pattern, as an example, so that you and I know as children of God, we're supposed to be led by the Spirit of God. He hands out the instruction. He hands out the gifts. He's the one who seals us. He's the one who saves us. He's the one convicting the world of sin and judgment and righteousness. You can't come to God unless the Spirit of God is the one doing the work of God for the glory of God. So you need to have that relationship with all of God. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. And understand that the Father sent the Son. And then because the Son was sent, He asked the Father to send the Spirit. And the Lord is the Spirit because they're all three God. Three in one. They're doing the same thing. Reconciling man to themselves. Well, why are they doing that, Greg? Because they don't want something they created to love them because they were created to love. They want something that will free will choose to be in fellowship with them because they see the greatness of their love. They want someone who will free will choose and if we free will choose, He will do the rest of the work for us as we surrender and let Him lead us out of the grave to His table so we can celebrate at the wedding supper of the Lamb. I'm getting excited. Calm down. So, he's departing. He's taking our place. He's becoming that redeeming sacrifice so that we can be at one with God. Atonement. He's going to leave the world and go to the Father. That's after the cross. Notice how it's conveniently left out. Oh, we know what he's getting ready to do. We're going to read about it, but we never read about the pain, the suffering, the heart, all the things. 
We just say, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. But now what happened on the other side is he went through the valley. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. Listen, and that's where we're supposed to be fixing our eyes is on his pattern, on his example of how you have to go through it. But what do we do? We find some way of escape other than him. See, he'll make a way of escape if you need to escape. But we try to get out of it. I need to call the doctor. I need to get out of it. I need a new job. I need out of it. I need a new marriage. I need to get out of it. I'm going around it. I'm going through it. I want to be happy. And we're listening to the liar. We're listening to the voice of the devil, the Antichrist, instead of listening to the voice of God that says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Surrender your life. Die daily. Take up your cross and follow after Him. He gave us an example to follow how hard it is. It's easy to talk about. I can do this really all day long by the power of the Spirit because it's my gifting. But it's very hard to do. But the question is, like the prodigal son, have we come to our senses and turned our heart toward home so that He can come and do it for us? Because if we don't turn our hearts toward home, then they're still turned toward the world and toward the devil's authority and toward self or sin, self, and Satan, whatever you want to say. Where's your heart turned toward? He's capable. He knows all. He can do all. He has seen all. He's all-powerful. He's loved his own who were in the world but not of the world in the cosmos. This orderly decoration is what it's called. It's what God created and that has fallen now. And it's groaning for redemption. It had to suffer corruption. And it's going to be one day redeemed too. He loved them to the uttermost or to the end. All the way through. Listen, God's love can't be changed. No matter what you do, He still loves. The only thing that can be changed is you. Oh, now, yeah, I, I know there's another, another message there. You can change the gospel, but it won't change you. It'll confirm you. It'll destroy you. You'll stay in corruption. You'll stay in the grave. But God's love isn't going to change. He already knows those that are His. And let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Change where you live at. Change where you're going. Change what your desires. Oh, I can't go and sin no more unless I'm following the light of the world. Because he who follows me, Jesus would say, will not dwell in darkness, not abide. It doesn't mean you won't stumble into darkness, but if you like it there and you live there and you stay there, then there's a problem at the heart of your Christianity as you begin to grieve and quench and insult the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said we should mourn over our sin in the Sermon on the Mount. Cry over it. Mourn over it. Plead with Him who can finish the race for us. He called us and He will also do it. He loved them to the uttermost. To the end. Now, I, I'm not going it, to... It means the conclusion of an act. You know, the conclusion of something that's the act. What is the end? What is the, the, the finish of this? We know that he's going to say, it is finished. Uh, but, 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 it, but the end doesn't have to be the cross there. Even though we know he's coming to the end of his course. 
What's the end of your course? Your course could end tomorrow. He still loves you. The question is, is where is your home at tomorrow when your course ends? Where is your heart at tomorrow when your course ends? Where's your hope at when your course ends? And it needs to be firmly fixed upon Jesus because of what he's done and because of what his word tells us, because of what his witness is to us, to a dead and dying world that's living in broken sepulchers, and he came to lead us out and back to the Father as a kinsman redeemer with Mary and bring them back in with all their inheritance given back that the first Adam lost for us. Verse 2, after supper, of course, speaking of the Passover meal, being ended, and most texts will have a note there. It says during supper. I believe supper is still going on, um, and it's not ended yet. I, don't, I, don't, I think they're still in the upper room, so they're still doing supper until uh, chapter 14. As it ends, he says, Let us, he says, let's rise, let's go from here before we enter into 15, which is in lower Jerusalem where the grape arbors are at. So I believe supper, uh, while supper is going on, during the time, because if you read the other text, he hasn't broken bread and handed it to Judas yet. They haven't went through the cup. They haven't walked through the communion yet. So it's during supper, and it's okay. It's during your life. Uh, during, uh, while supper is going on, what happened? During the supper, what happened? The devil, Diablos, Satan, the traducer, the false accuser, the one who comes in tempts and slanders and lies. Having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now see where that came from? Here's a guy that has walked with Jesus for three years. He's went out in twos. He's did the work of the ministry. But he's never given his heart to God. He's never bought into the plan of God. Oh, he might say he believes. See, lots of people believe. Demons believe and they tremble. But he never pissed us. He never walked by faith. He never met Anoia. He never changed his direction. His heart was still focused on this world and 30 pieces of silver, doing what he wanted to do in his plan instead of surrendering to the plan of God and having his feet washed. Instead of surrendering to the plan of God and entering into his ministry of the reconciliation of souls, he continued to pursue everything else and he wanted the best of both worlds and you can't have it. Because God will come and confirm it. And the devil will destroy you. Because God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. And if you sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. You will reap destruction. But if you sow to life, you'll reap everlasting life. What are you growing in your life? Listen, Judas probably thought he was fine mingling and going back and forth. Judas thought he was fine, but all the while he was nursing this desire for silver. Think about it, because silver is a picture of redemption in the Bible. When you see silver, redemption. Bronze, brass, judgment. 
Jesus took our bronze and brass for us, and he gives us silver. And Judas was willing to sell his whole life for 30 pieces of silver instead of all his inheritance back, the kingdom of God. What will a man give in exchange for his own soul? I don't know what your price is. What are you pursuing? Are you caught up in the American dream? Are you caught up in the physical line? Are you caught up in pursuing a career instead of a calling? Phone ringing. The devil put it there. Listen, the devil put it there, but it was already a desire, James tells us. See, we're given we're free will agents. James tells us, let's just look over at James 1 and just read this really quick, and we'll try to get done with this before your stew burns. James 1. We're told that that you know God can't tempt us, but God will use the tempter. God is using everything in this world. If you don't die, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life, He's using all of it. It's all still right here physical, yet we are to regard nothing as physical anymore because we are spirits in a body. We're spirits. We know it's a spiritual realm. It's a spiritual God. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a spiritual battle. Listen to me. It's all about the Spirit and what the Spirit says to the church. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. It's chapter 1. It's verse 13 to shorten this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. I'm not going any further. We'll just pass off on that one there. So who put it in his heart? It was already in his heart. There was already a seedbed there of a desire to chase the world, to have the gold. That This guy doesn't know what he's doing. I've been taught falsely that the Messiah is supposed to come and he's going to bring all roads back to the same way it was in Solomon's day. We need to move this faster. We need to get this. We'll just get him, we'll just get him arrested. Here's my plan. I'm going to get some money. I'm going to profit out of this some way. I'm going to cut my losses. I don't know what was in his heart. But listen, when I drove by the bank this morning, I had no desire to get out of my truck and kick in the door and go take the money from there. It's just not in my heart. I don't care if I'm losing my house. I got no desire to go back to prison. But when I drive by a pretty woman, I have a desire sometimes to take the second look. When, when, when I go to do my taxes, I have a desire sometimes to cheat on them. You fill in the blank. I don't know what it is that's going on in your heart. You cannot be tempted with something that's not already in your heart. So you're led away by your own desires. And what Jesus wants to do is wash your feet and change your desires. What metanoia means when you repent is you say, my desires are bad, my mind is bad, my direction is death. What I'm doing leads to death. It's always going to lead to death. I'm always going to be running back into the grave in darkness. I'm not fellowshipping with God. So Lord, please change the very way that I think. Because that's where we go astray. It starts here, and then it moves to our heart and then it moves to our life and we end up in debt. 
But don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes down from God where there's no shadow or, or shifting. He doesn't move at all. God's not changing. He's not making up a new gospel for your life, a new way for your life. Well, Judas would say, oh, I got this figured out. I can still hang out with God and pursue the silver. No, you got to be singleness in mind. A double-minded man should not think that he should receive anything. Singleness of mind. And when your mind tries to go the other way, you kick it in the face, you put it in the grave, and you say, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. No other life to live. The other one's a death. It's not really a life. Sorry, I get a little excited. How could you ever think you could finish 20 verses? Come on. Only have one page of notes. Look. I'm teasing. I got a couple with some words on it. Scattered thoughts. The devil may have tempted him, but it was already there. Where's your heart at this morning? You can't serve God and mammon. You'll love the one and hate the other. See, and then the balance is this, because I go to work and I'm mad at the people I work with because they're in the convergence and they're living for the devil and they don't want to do anything for God, but they'll smile at you and act like they do. And, and see, God says, no, no, you're supposed to be, be good to the household of faith, but also to the others. And so I'm fighting with that. I'm struggling with that because I just as soon say, forget you. I'm worried about the saints that want to live for Jesus. But that's not Christ. He said, love your enemies. Love those who spitefully use you. They asked you for a cloak. Give them your coat also. You go an extra mile with them because it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. The goodness. Not being mad and smacking a rock twice under the law. It's the goodness of God. It's the Spirit of God. Listen to me. It's not the letter of the law. It's the Spirit that brings men to repentance. So we pray for men. But you know what I do? I pray for men and then I go talk to them and they go, oh man, I don't want none of his God. He's getting ready to beat me up. And I'm not really getting ready to beat them up. I'm just a little frustrated with their actions the same way that Moses would be. But see, Moses didn't get to go into the promised land because of that. So see, God is dealing with me in that because we're going through testing and trial. We're going to go through fire and through much suffering shall we enter the kingdom of God. But I'm not going to go get a pill for it. I'm not going to quit my job for it. They're going to have to fire me and listen to a few more sermons. Because that's all i got to tell them about. I don't have any other hope. I don't have any other words. I, I, am I completed? No, I'm being completed. Am I perfect? No, I'm being perfect, perfected. Listen, where are you at in this walk? There is a walk. And the enemy's trying to destroy you. He wants to put things in your heart and let them get just, just, just toss it in there. He doesn't have to do anything. Our worldly, fleshly nature already wants to do some stuff unless you kill it. It already wants to do stuff. So when it gets tossed in there, well, I've seen them other Christians doing it. They're pursuing it. They're chasing it. They're living it. And they're doing okay. No, they're not. They're not doing okay. They're living in a grave, in a tomb. They're chasing death. And it breaks my heart. And sometimes I deal with it wrongly. 
But certainly I want to deal with it rightly according to the Spirit of God. What say you? Don't follow the wrong example. Judas was in the upper room too and he went out and it was dark. Listen to me. He went out and it was dark. He regretted later. He didn't repent. He regretted. And he killed himself. Listen to me. Kill yourself now. And choose life. Die to self. Nobody's going to hell and nobody's going to the grave unless they choose to. God has given you a free choice. And his word reveals it. His spirit declares it. His witnesses foretell it and come. The prophets are talking about it. Wake up. Get into the word, prayer, and fellowship. And surrender. And when you find yourself not surrendering, surrender again. He loves you with a never-ending love. He didn't come to judge you. He came to save you. Mm. Betray. I'm not going to go into much more. We've got to keep moving. We'll never get through this until next year. Betray means to yield up, to surrender, to deliver up, to put in prison. To give into the hand of another. What will a man give in exchange for his own soul? Listen to me. First usage is in Matthew 4, verse 12. Anybody know what that is? Matthew 4. Most of you Bereans would know Matthew 4. The first usage of this. 4. I got this right. Betray. I don't even know if I got that right. Sorry. I can't read my own handwriting sometimes. Yeah, it's it. 412. After the temptations. See, I would have tricked you because you'd have thought it was the temptations of Jesus. But it's after the temptations. After Jesus stands strong in the Word of God and says, You have that which judges you, the Word of God. Then we get the testimony of what happened to somebody who was betrayed. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, that's it right there. Had been put into prison is betrayed. Had been put into prison. That's the same word as betray here. He departed to Galilee, to the heathen circle. Where did Jesus go? When things go wrong, when somebody else is betrayed, when he's betrayed, he still went out to the heathen circle, Galilee. He's still loving and pursuing to the end, to the uttermost. He loves you. And he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Don't listen to the liar. Verse 3, Jesus knowing... Again, it's I do, knowing. It means to see that the Father, it means to understand. It means um, to have knowledge, to be aware. And I do that on purpose because there's, you know, with, with words, sometimes we hear a word and we have a total different definition. It's like, bring me some hot water. And you bring this warm water to somebody. Well, it was hot to me. You know, so when you know some of the other words that could have happened, it helps you better understand the context of this. Jesus, of course, we know, knows everything. Uh, but here, knowing and understanding that the Father had given 
all things into his hands. Hands being his hands, but his power, his strength. It's a, it's a picture of, of Matthew 28, 18. All authority, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. Why? Because he made that decision in Little Gethsemane. In chapter 12, when he said, Father, glorify your son. He made the decision. He was going to the cross. It was over with. Long before he got to, long before he got to the cross. And you need to make those decisions long before you get to the temptation that you're going to surrender and live for Jesus and not even be enticed. Change my desires, Lord. Change what I say when I hit the wrong nail with the hammer. Change my heart, Lord. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow all the issues of life, Proverbs 4.23 tells us. Guard it. So he knows that, that the Father's given him everything. Do you know that? Do you know your identity today? That the Father has given you everything. We're joint heirs with Christ. You have all the power, all the authority. You have everything that he would say to his friends. He gives you his instructions. He gives you everything you need for life and godliness. Do you understand that today? Because our identity is so important. When you see you are and we are, you see those words, you want to know that's who I am in Christ. We're overwhelmingly more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We don't have to listen to the lies of this world. Although we will. But when you find yourself doing that, confess it, surrender, run from it, flee. And that he see, he knows that he came from God, that he had come from God. He knew where he came from. And was going to God. He knows where he's going to end up at. Do you know these things? Do you know the absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? These are things that are so important. Because you know what? The people in the church today are scared to death of dying. Well, why would we be scared to death to finishing the race? We're out here in the flesh running races and giving trophies for it. And we're afraid to cross the finish line? What in the world? We're here for other people, not for ourselves. It's to benefit others. And, you know, and on Father's Day, fathers need to get that. Because that's what fathers are here for, to lead their homes. To lay down their lives, to die. To train. To love a wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that she can train the children in the way that they're supposed to go. Without authority, we're all going to die. What is it? When sin increases, the prince's the land increased. So you got all these authorities. I don't know if you noticed, but you look at all the world, the workplaces. We did this in the 80s too. I think that one world government thought they were really going to move forward in the 80s and I didn't know what was going on then because I wasn't saved. But now again, we're going back to middle managers and we're putting all these bosses in and there's no head. There's too many chiefs and not enough Indians. And then you got chaos and confusion and I don't know who to follow because they make sense and they make sense and they make sense and they make sense. Turn in here, just follow any voice. Listen, you got one voice to learn to hear. Because of intimacy with Him, you learn the voice of God and you follow God. And you make those decisions no matter what, whether it's your children or somebody else's children, whether it's your job or somebody else's job. The counsel doesn't change because God has no shadow or shifting about Him. He is the light. He is the plumb line. He is the standard. He is the pattern. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Where are we living? Easy talk about, hard to walk out, guys. I'm not, I haven't arrived anywhere. 
I'm just talking about what the Bible says here in proclaiming the Word of God. Now we need to put it into practice and to do because that's what Jesus is getting ready to do. After He knows all this, He's getting ready to do it. Watch, watch. It's good. I love it. I ain't washing your stinking feet, though. Oh, I'm sorry. I would if I had to. But that's not what He's talking about. I know some churches do this. They do a, you know, and, and, and the sadness of it is, and I had some guy telling me about it not too long ago, and I'm like, yeah, but, but it would be one thing if you went out and found a homeless guy and you wash his feet because you know they're going to be gnarly. That's a Tom Camp word. You know they're going to be gnarly. I hear myself all the time when I, I speak. But um, <laughs> I said, I'm becoming my pastor. I'm like, oh, no, I want to become like Jesus. <laughs> so hopefully I'm becoming uh, what you uh, are in Jesus. So anyway, but then, you know, Foot washing ministry, it's like I go to houses to clean carpet and I get there and, and the woman's already cleaned everything. It's dusted, it's swept, it's cleaned, it's put into place and you show up and they're like, well, it's my house, that's what I want to present. I'm not going to... And I look at her husband and I go, why didn't you ever clean the carpet? It's been a whole lot easier on me. And they always look at me like, what's he talking about? I'm like, well, she already did everything else. And that's what would happen at a real foot washing ministry. You're not going to show up with dirty feet. You're going to show up with brand new socks on. Your feet's been washed. You might go to a pedicures and get them done and go, look, I mean, you're, you're, if, if somebody, this is not what he's talking about. And yes, I'm not saying somebody's evil if they have a ministry of foot washing. That's not what I'm saying. But it's easy to wash somebody's gnarly feet. But what about love them as they walk about with gnarly feet? and in sin and they don't want to listen and they don't want to follow they don't want to obey how about still loving them how about still praying for them how about still reaching out to them until God tells you to quit because this is really talking about our walk let's go he's already knows everything and what did he do once he knows everything he rose that's what he did that word means to raise it means it means to uh, uh, to through the idea of collecting one's faculties. You know, where Jesus says, or, or excuse me, Paul says by the power of the Holy Spirit in, in Ephesians 4, Awake, you who sleep, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Wow, thanks, Lord, you gave me light. Now I get to go run. No, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. Find out what the will of the Lord is, and be always be being filled with the Holy Spirit of promise. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always in Jesus Christ, and then submitting to one another. Oh my goodness, are you serious? All that? Just die. Find out what the Spirit's doing and following. He's given you the power. He's given you the strength. He's given you the might. I know you guys know that verse. You probably know it by memory by now. I repeat it. Um, every other week as diligently as possible is what circumspectly means do it as diligently as possible without faith it's impossible to please God for you first must believe that he is and that he's your rewarders of those who diligently seek him that's a constancy in your walk consistency in your walk being a disciple is following the instructor consistently we're going to see that in the text disciple receives instructions and then they call him Lord and they bow down to him. So 
So knowing everything about what he needs to know, he rose, and it's a picture of him raising from the dead, to rise, to stand up again, from the supper, from where they were eating, and he laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. Now, girding means to tie around. You see a, a type of this word or a form of this word in the Greek in Ephesians 6 where they would gird their loins with truth. And really they, what they would do is they would tighten them up. They would reach under and grab the hem of the garment in the back and pull it up and tuck it in in the front so that it was tight and they could move about with their legs. So he's girding himself with a towel. But look at the picture that this is. He's rising from where? He's, this is God in the flesh, Emmanuel. He's on the throne in heaven, and he says, I love them. I want a creation that will follow me. I'm going to go down and save them. So he gets up from his throne uh, where he's enjoying supper. He lays aside his prerogative for his deity in certain aspects, his garments, because he's going to take our place. Listen to me. And he took a towel, flesh, and girded himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word come to earth and took flesh, girded Himself with a towel, and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He girds Himself. And after that, what did He do? He poured water in a basin, Holy Spirit, in a vessel. And this vessel, it's the only place this is where it's a first usage. It's it's a word that uh, is used for a, a, a foot washing or hand washing and began to wash, nipto, the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. To wipe them, clean them, dry them off with the same flesh. What? Listen, God got up, came down, put on flesh, and he walked out this life 30 years obeying the authority of his parents, right? And then for three and a half years, he had an itinerant preaching ministry where they followed him. They listened to his instructions. They, they were trying to obey him and believe that he was going to give them some positions. And, and, and what happens at the end, when he knows he's going to the cross, they go to the upper room where they're going to celebrate this finality, this fulfillment, this, this complete furnishing of all that God has said. And on the way, what were they doing? Luke 22 tells us they were arguing about who was the greatest. They spent three years with Jesus and didn't see that he was the greatest because he was servant of all. They spent three years with him and they're still arguing about their authority and who's going to set it to right hand to their left. And so when they come into the upper room, guess what's going on? A big argument. They don't want Jesus to know, so they're arguing about, listen, we're all going up there. Who's washing the feet when we get there? Because see, in this culture, what would happen is that somebody, the lowest servant of the house, when you get to a place, but this is a borrowed room, and there's no servant there. Only the servants that show up are there. Thirteen people there. Some would say fourteen because devil was there putting something in the heart of Judas. I say thirteen. Listen to me. They get in the room arguing. I believe it was Peter's job because he was the unofficial head. He's had this great revelation, not from flesh and blood, but from the Spirit of God, that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not tell you that, but my Father who is in heaven. The only way you're going to find out that he's the Christ. But they're arguing, they're arguing, they're arguing. And while he knows what's going on in all 12 of them's heart, he knows that somebody was supposed to be washing feet. Because see, what happens is, is that you would take a shower, you would get ready, you would all primp and proper the way you should do or might do. I don't know what your bathing habits are, but in this culture, if they were invited to such a celebration as the Passover to commemorate God delivering them, and we should clean up like this in church, I just don't think we should be presumptuous and overdressed um listen you would get a bath and they had city baths they didn't have running water in every house they didn't have sanitation departments and so on the way you and i on the way to heaven them on the way to the banqueting place where they're sitting down to eat we will be eating at the wedding supper of the lamb next we need to be cleaned up when we get there on the way there See, they would get there. They would walk through the door. The guest, the, the, the one who had called them would have the lowest servant wash their feet because they have sandals on. They've walked through dirt. They've walked through everything you can imagine to get there. And the rest of them is washed clean, but their feet are dirty. And it's speaking of you and me and our walk, our practical walk daily. Our practical walk. Feet always speak of walk. We know that in the biblical um, tense. If I can use that word there. And so they're arguing, and while they're all arguing about whose authority, what does God do? Listen to me. What does Jesus do? Knowing everything, he gets up and washes our feet. See, that's why he came. He knew everything, and he knew what he created us for, and he knows what we're called for, and he knows our identity, and he knows he wants people that will freely choose him. So he comes down and serves us and gives an example and a pattern of what we should be doing. He humbles himself completely, makes himself of no reputation, and becomes the lowest servant in the house, the lowest place on the planet, washing people's feet so they can enjoy a meal that he is going to fulfill. And that's what he continues to do today when we spend time with him. When we come and we go, here, Lord, my feet, man, I went to work today and those people really made me mad and I had the wrong attitude and I was talking to them the wrong way and I even prayed this morning that they would make so much money that they would vomit it out of their nose and that was wrong, Lord. And they didn't even understand what I was saying to them when I prayed. That's sad. I did that. I, I confess it. That's sad because they need to be saved instead of mad at me for talking about them vomiting out their nose. But, of course, they will reap what they sow, and they probably know that feeling. I used to worship at the porcelain throne myself. And God has called us out of the grave and wants us to be light. So knowing all these things, he bound himself up in flesh and walked it out perfectly without sin and died for us. After that, he poured water in that basin and he's washing their feet. Washing their feet. You washing anybody's feet? I, I'm not going to any first usages right now. We ran out of time. Begin is beginning. It's like origins. It's first. It's the one first in order to come or commence. First in order of time. Think about it. He's the first one to ever wash somebody's feet knowing all things. 
first one to ever wash anybody's feet that was God in the flesh. He's first. It's, it's, it's been rehearsed from the beginning. That's what the word means. That's pretty awesome to me. And whose feet is he washing? The disciples, his learners, his pupils. Those that are supposed to be serving him. Instructing, he's instructing them in how to, and this is what he's doing. Leaders lead by example. Leaders lead by doing. Leaders lead by getting their knees dirty, their hands dirty. But you know what? You don't get your hands dirty and your feet dirty and everything dirty doing something that you're not called to do. You have to be led by the Spirit in your gifting, doing what you're called to do, running in your lane and not running all over the place haphazardly. It's called circumspectly and diligently. It's a walk of faith that you constantly do. My wife is always encouraging or instructing me, uh, I don't know what word to use, to stay in my lane, to know where I'm called at. Not to run here and there and other places. Stay focused on and be faithful to what God has given me in the ministry, in our lives. And that's what a helpmate is for. That's why you have the Holy Spirit who is your helpmate. He comes alongside to help. He comes into your heart and help. He starts tearing down walls, changing desires. He's washing your feet. If you would look into uh, Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives. Christ loved your wives. He does perfectly. He died so that we could live. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water through the word, that he might present her to himself a spotless and clean bride without wrinkle or any such thing. And he goes on to talk about how that's a mystery because he's speaking of the church. But it's still an example. It's still what we're supposed to do. And it's, a different, it's another word for uh, washing and cleansing. The washing is the water, is the, is the Holy Spirit through the Word that gives us a direction. And so, as I've said so many times um, from this pulpit, when the man of God looks into the Word of God and sees the Son of God's example, His pattern, He's transformed by the Spirit of God into the image of God for the glory of God. That's what we're supposed to be doing. When you get into the Word of God, ask the Holy Spirit to show you the Son of God and transform you into that image of a suffering servant who would wash people's feet and be led by the Spirit of God to do everything that the Father sent you to do. Because we've been sent just like the Father's been sent. And once again, this is really easy to talk about. But when you go out there and the rub meets the road and your back hurts and you're a little bit upset because you didn't get enough sleep and your flesh is tagging along and dragging along and you've got, well, I don't have to listen to you. I can just take you down. You've got to die. And that's what Jesus is doing. How far is he dying right now? How far is he making himself of no reputation? He's going to let his own creation beat him and nail him to a tree. Not because he can't stop them. Because for this purpose he has come. And he knows that it's joy because he's fulfilling the Father's calling on his life. And he's putting others first and he's going to cross through that valley. And he's going to be raised up and recover all of his faculties. And, and, and set. Well, first he speaks for 40 days concerning the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. When you look at Luke, or excuse me, Luke speaking in Acts. But what's he talking about? All the things that Jesus began to do. And because he was doing them, he could teach them. That's what it is. To do and to teach. 
And he can only be faithful through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So he's washing their feet. And what happens? Perfect humility runs into perfect pride. Oh, been following for three years. Got a bunch of good revelations. God's actually given him his name. He's going to be a chip off the old block. He's a rock. Peter. Simon, Peter. Simon means herd, by the way, in the Hebrew. It means rock or stone in the Greek. But the original word for Simon means herd. Then he came to someone who heard, Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? That's verse 6. Listen to me. Listen to me clearly. 6 is always the number of man. And if 6 is the number of man, this is what you and I fight with as men and women. We don't want to let Jesus wash our feet. We don't want to believe that God would forgive us. We don't want to go with that place. We're like, I can do this. I can suck it up by my bootstraps. I can get this done. I don't need him to take care of this. Are you washing my feet, Lord? I already got it under control here. But if you want to be completed and get to the other side, he says, look, verse 7, which this is the number of completion, Jesus answered. It means having to have to say something because see, Jesus says something. Peter sometimes says when he doesn't have anything to say, Jesus always has the right answer. And said, and that word means given an answer when one is required, and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Because he's going to give them why he did it, as an example, as a pattern. After this, you will come to know it. The word know there, again, is I do. Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, it's not, is it? Sorry, after this, it's gnosko. I'm sorry. I do is the other words where you see, you understand, you're comprehending, you're perceiving. Here is gnosko where you come to learn, you come to know. You come to grow through it as you learn what he's doing and you practice it and go through the trials, the temptation. You go through the testing and you learn your identity. You learn your gifting. You learn how to uh, and understand how to have a walk with God. After this is meta. Be careful with meta. Because if you've got something after this, you're in trouble. Because you're looking at the wrong voice. Meta's out there. They're trying to get you. After this, I don't have anything after this except the kingdom of God and the, and, and, and the banqueting supper of the Lamb. So, um, <laughs> i got to go there. First usage is Matthew one twenty five. I know you guys are getting tired. And it's real easy for me to sit up here and do this. Because it's a gifting, but it's not a gifting to sit on your butt. But the Word of God is exciting. The Word speaks of intimacy and a personal love relationship right here. Gnosko, Jesus is saying, you'll know this, you'll experience this, you'll understand it. It's, it's actually used as a euphemism for having sexual contact with your wife. And that's how you grow with Christ, because we're married to Him. Listen to me, 21, 24, and 25. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel. That's do right there. That's when you do and you obey God. As the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. So he marries her instead of putting her away because he was told what was going on. She was with child. But here's what I want to get you to. And did not know her, did not gnosko her until she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus, further obeying. 
Listen, it's speaking of intimacy, kenosko, with God because you're married to God, you're coming to know God, and as you spend time with Him in intimacy and relationship, intercourse, if you will, because that means conversation, because we're talking and praying, and He's changing my desires, then I learn that this is the pattern, this is what I'm supposed to do, that I must decrease so that He can increase. John the Baptist learned it when he was in the wilderness. And he had to teach his disciples the same thing. And then they cut his head off for being a good witness. So after this, you'll know it. Are you growing in your identity? Are you coming to know what Christ has done? Are you understanding it? Verse 8, number of new beginnings. Listen, new beginning. This could have ended bad if you just stay here on my page. All I have is 8A. It could end bad if Peter said, you will never wash my feet. And it ended there. It can end bad. See, if your heart... And these are the two decisions you have to make in life. New beginnings. I heard about Christ, and now you have a choice. He changes you. You surrender. You metanoia and repent. You let Him wash your feet and your walk and tell you what to pursue in life as you get involved in ministry with Him. Or... And Jesus answered him again because Jesus won't leave you there when you say you'll never. Listen, never and always are God words. Those are words that for God. Don't use them in your marriage. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. This is the new beginning that God will tell you. If He can't wash your feet, you have no part. Now listen, listen, because we have to understand what sanctification and practical walk are all about. When, when you believe in Christ, if you truly believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead, marriage ceremony, you shall be saved. Both of you say the same thing in the same place at the same time. It's a wedding ceremony. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Deliverance from the sin nature. Deliverance to safety. Brought back into the Father's house by marriage. The kingdom, kingdom and Redeemer. That's what's going on there in 10, 9, and 10. There's a bunch going on. When you agree with God and quit disagreeing with Him. Listen. Eight. He has to wash you. But then positionally, you're just as if you're finished, if that's true. You have a positional place where the penalty has been taken by Christ. He paid for all of your sin, past, present, and future. Right? The power of sin has been removed forever because the power of sin was death. This thing was the law and death, all that thing that Paul talks about. I don't mean to say it flippantly. It's pretty serious. Listen to me. The penalty and the power is gone. The penalty you're learning as you grow in intimacy, that it's all gone. He doesn't remember it anymore. And the same thing with the power, because you still, in your flesh, give Satan power by listening to lies. You still practice some of the old things that you used to do. But you need to learn that you don't have to. You need to learn that he's taken the penalty and the power. And that's something that's done instantaneously in the spirit realm when he baptizes us into the family of God to become the church. But then there's a practical where he's going to begin to take the pleasure of sin and the practice of sin. And He's going to take you from the very presence of sin one day. That's changing your desires. It's changing what makes your boat float. It's changing what you're supposed to be chasing. And you're supposed to be pursuing His will, not your will. You're supposed to be going out and being a witness for the reconciliation of souls 
not a pit dweller chasing what I can get in this world. Listen, he throws in everything down here if you pursue him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added. You don't have to worry about it. I hit a bird this morning. I, I hate hitting animals. I don't know. Some people just are, ah, I got that one. Get him out of here. And I, you know, but God ministers to me through it. I hit this bird, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I hit a bird. I don't ever hit a bird. Birds are, are a type of evil, so, so my brain can't go any place except, oh, Dove is the only one that's not, except there. And I hit this stupid bird on the way to church, and I go, what in the world? And I go, well, it fell off. And I go, no, I see its wing picking up over my truck. And I go, oh, man, I can't drive around with an evil, stinking bird on my truck. And I go, oh, wait a minute. Oh, man, that bird has died. And I go, I know, you're not, his, you're, you're not that bird's father. You're my father. But you did create the bird, and you feed the birds, and they neither sow nor reap, but they're still taken care of. And so I start to feel bad. Then I go, wow, all that compassion, Jonah, for that bird. Jonah means dove. So the Holy Spirit said, all that compassion for that bird. What about for people? That I am their father. Are you going to wash their feet? Are you going to help them walk? Or are you going to run over them with your truck? Anyway, I didn't do it on purpose. It was an accident, so we're going to ask God to help us to do it better. I had to scrape him off with a screwdriver. That was sad. But see, that's what, I mean, when we take everything and we go, oh, just physical, just a bird, stupid birds. Why is everybody buying bird seed and feeding them for? You just keep them close to my truck. That's physical. Now let's look at it spiritual. Nothing happens. God is sovereign. Everything going on in your life, through your life, by your life. Well, God didn't know. Yes, he did. He allowed it to test and try and tempt you so that you would use it to gain wisdom and He would burn out the dross and you would learn how to be led by the Spirit of God. And then shut it down and not go for so long and talk for two hours. And um, that's why I'm sitting down. So verse 8, what's your decision? What say you? Never, God. You're never going to wash my feet. i got this religious practice i got going on. Somebody already indoctrinated and showed me what I was supposed to do. And I'm going to do it this way and end up apostate just like the Jewish nation that's getting ready to kill you. They don't even know their own Messiah when he's right in their face. God's standing in front of them. And they're going to kill him. And they listen to a false priest who said it's imperative you know nothing you have to kill one for the nation and then two and then three and then every one of his witnesses five six ten where does it stop in death culture it only stops when god rescues us and raptures us and takes us out but caiaphas was not the priest annas is so don't follow the antichrist system and he says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. What's he mean? Wait a minute. And of course, he's referring to the feet, but he's also, they left feet out on purpose, right? Because if he doesn't wash you, first of all, is being baptized into the body of Christ. It's having that first bath. It's another word now. It's not the same word that was used when he began to wash their feet. These guys already believe. But he's using this as an example of our pride that will keep him from finishing the work that he started in us until the day of Christ Jesus. See, Judas is getting ready to go out and chase silver. Peter's going to repent, right? You have one that completely says they believe, and then they sell out for the world. You have the world, you have the one that sells out. Well, 
unbelievers, one who says they believe, but they won't let anything but money or worldly gain control them. And then you have Peter who says, you're never going to. He's in his pride. But you know what? He hears the voice of God again in verse 9. And he listens after what Jesus said in verse 8. He hears his voice. Jesus knows them. He's speaking to you. And he follows him. And then he's all in again because he's so impetuous. He's all in again. He says, well, not my hand, not just my feet, but my hands and my head. Everything. See, because he wasn't trying to reject God. He was trying to be real proud and, and, and what we might call uh, smart and a leader. What you might call how a leader should act to give somebody else that is greater than you a little bit of respect. And really, he wasn't supposed to act that way. So in verse 8, he says, if I don't wash you, if I don't cleanse you, if I don't give you a full bath and then keep washing your feet, you have no part with me. No share, no portion. Right? What, 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 what do you mean? No inheritance? Yeah. If it's not by Jesus, you're not going to get saved. And, and if you're saved and you believe, then he wants to wash you and cleanse you and lead you out of this world into heaven to the throne room, to your inheritance, to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And you can't listen to other voices. Lord, are you washing my feet? How do you say kurios, supreme in authority, are you washing my feet? He gets to do whatever he wants to do in your life. Right? I say, Lord, where's my wife? Listen to me, it's serious stuff. I miss my wife in the flesh greatly. It doesn't even comprehend in my brain. But he's Lord. He is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Never Will you wash my feet? Indicating a point reached. Could be a crossroads. You decide who salvation is from. Simon Peter said to him, verse 9, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And of course, that's a great thing. Your hands, you should put in your hands to the work of the ministry and your head should be controlled by the Holy Spirit and then your feet will follow. But they're already cleaned. Positionally, you're already there with your hands in your head. Now you just have to catch up practically as you let Him wash your feet. As you, each day, you're spending time with Him in intimacy and saying, what was up with that? Where did that walk take me? What happened there, Lord? Put some more water on there, Lord. Let him wash your feet. He's humbling himself and he's meeting pride. And it's the same thing that happened in eight. It's the same thing that happens in every man's life, every woman's life, every person's life. I got this figured out now. I can run the race by myself. I'm going to run it with broken feet and dirty feet. Listen to me. You don't have to. Jesus can direct you. Jesus can wash your feet. Put your feet in his hands. Where's your walk at today? Whose hands is it in? Yours? 
The worlds? Your careers? Where's your feet at? I wear a new balance. Where's your feet at? Are they in Jesus' hand? Do you understand? And when you look into the Word of God and you see His walk, we're supposed to walk as He walked. We're supposed to live as He lived. We're supposed to follow His example with our feet. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. So if we have salvation, and we should, if we believe that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, uh, we only need our feet, our walk, our daily walk. You go out into the world, they're cussing, they're, they're making their plans, they're doing stuff, your heart gets angry, or you, you slip up and you say something that's wrong, do something that's wrong. You need to go back and be washed and cleansed and, and continue to clean, purify you. That's what this word means. It means to be clean and pure and enduring. It means to be chaste. See, our position is, Paul says, he, he, he betrothed us to Christ as a chaste virgin. And now as we put our feet in God's hands, He's actually purifying and cleaning us and washing our feet, our walk, our desires, our ways as we travel along the King's Highway and do His will for the salvation of other souls. And again, it's just like walking through the city after getting a city bath and you go in and the servant cleans your feet. And He says in 10... Perfect completion. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but he's completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Now see, if you stop there once again and you don't take the full counsel of God, you're thinking, wait a minute, which part of me is not clean? No, he goes on. He gives you more commentary. He's talking about Judas, not about you. For he knew who would betray him, deliver him up for 30 pieces of silver. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. Judas was not clean. He never was a believer. Do you know you can you know you can be in the body of Christ and not be a believer? Now listen, I'm not trying to be mean. I, I, I don't want to scare you. I don't want to put you in fear, but I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is written that we might believe in the Son of God. This is written that we might know that we have salvation and continue a continuance. Live by faith. Walk by faith. The Bible's here purposefully to wash us and cleanse us. It's going to judge us one day. We'll be silent. Just like Jesus was silent before this year, when we get to the judgment seat, we'll be silent. I don't believe we'll give a defense. Not there. We're supposed to give it down here. I don't believe there'll be anything to say. Every knee will bow to the praise of His glory. What would you say in front of perfect truth when you know your own heart, well, He knows our heart. Let's close this out. We'll dovetail in next week and pick it up, but let me read through it and make a salient point, and then we will pray. Verse 12. So when He had washed their feet and taken His garments and sat down again, that's where He's at now, praying for us at the right hand of God. He talked to Him for 40 days. Put his, he put his deity back on and went back into heaven. Acts chapter 2. He said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? Listen, do you know what Christ has done to you? Do you know the salvation of the Lord? Do you know your identity? It's a big question, isn't it? 
Well, I became part of this church. No. You call me teacher, that's an instructor, master, met with respect and followed greatly in the culture. They all wanted to be uh, called by somebody. Most were sent home. Jesus came and picked from the back of the line. And Lord, kurios, and you say, well, for so I am. There's another I am in John. That's Exodus 3.14. I am that I am. I am the existing one. That's a claim to be deity. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You ought to help take the grave clothes off of others. It's the one another ministry of the body. You know, what we get into is gossiping, abiding, and devouring, destroying. You know, Galatians says you are caught in, you are spiritual. If someone's caught in a trespass or in a fault, 6-1, restore them with a spirit of gentleness. It's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. Help them carry that burden. Help them unwrap those grave clothes. Help them learn how to walk. Now listen, you can't do nothing with people that are disrespectful and rude and they don't want to hear counsel. That's because they don't, they're rejecting God. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Him who sent Him. They're rejecting the Father. That's what verse 20 is about. They're not rejecting you. They're not rejecting your words. You don't have a script other than God, what God said. And you say it exactly like He said. Because we're dead men. We don't have any new things to say. We only have what the Spirit of God is doing. Listen to me. But we're supposed to be helping one another. Extending grace and mercy. Forgiving. Being a witness. Being an example ourselves. And that's what he says, 14. If you, oh, excuse me. 15. For I have given the gift that keeps on giving. He's given us another, an example, a pattern uh, that you should do as I have done to you. And see, I, I, I read that, I have to stop, I have to reflect, I have to say, you know what, I ain't been doing, I ain't been being a good pattern, a good example. I mean, we should all be convicted, we should be undone, say my feet are dirty. Because we get caught up in everything that's going on in the world and pursuing our own self, our own stuff, our own things, and, and other people are not important to us all the time, some of the time, any of the time. I'm not concerned about washing people's feet, but it's really washing their walk with Christ, helping them to understand the Scriptures. Or it's koinonia, like we talked about Friday night. What is that? Galatians 6, 6, number of man twice. And if you leave it out, it's 666. Let him who is taught share in every good thing. Who put uh, uh, koinonia with him who teaches? We're supposed to be sharing the Word of God with one another, counseling one another, helping one another take off the grave clothes as He instructed as they come out of the grave, and continuing to wash one another's feet from house to house as the early church did as they continued in the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship. That's the pattern. That's the example. Get off our thrones, humble ourselves, and God will lift us up. Or we can say, I'm never going to help them. I'm never going to pray for them. I'm never going to go to their house again. I'm never going to... I'm never, never calling them. Never talking to them. I don't even care about them anymore. 
and then we can reap what that sows because that's a seed of death. It's a death pill for your life to resist and reject what Christ is doing and has done and will do when He comes to take the church home. Father, we give You praise and glory and we thank You for washing our whole souls, for purifying us, for making us just as if we never sinned, white as snow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us a seat with you. Giving us your authority. Giving us your word. Giving us power to go out and be martyreos, witnesses throughout Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Lord, help us not to grow weary while well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Give us a desire to know our gifts and talents and abilities, to be led by the Spirit and to wash one another's feet as we keep our eyes fixed upon you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Pour out your spirit, Lord. Bless the rest of our day. Bless the fathers. May they be fathers like our Father in heaven and desire to be conformed into your image. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I